I love what God is doing here. Um, I see it from a distance. I, I, I kind of come and pass through at times, and your pastor's a wonderful man, and um, you are, you're, you've been blessed now twice with pastors that are leading you to be more and more engaged in the work of Jesus Christ around the world, and I'm just thrilled about what I, what I hear happening here. And, uh, but it has been a long time. It has been three and a half years, and I don't know if any of you remember this, but uh, we together, we began a journey. Anybody remember this? We began a journey, and I can't remember how long ago it is. It's probably over four years ago, but somewhere around there. And the journey was through 15 psalms that are, are labeled in your Bible as the songs of ascents. And those are 15 psalms from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. And we got right to the midway point, and uh, now it's been three and a half years. So I was thinking, what should I speak about when I come? And then it dawned on me at about uh, 3.30 this afternoon, pick up where you left off. And so uh, we got up through Psalm 127, and we're going to go to Psalm 128 here in just a minute. But um, those 15 psalms, by the way, if anybody ever asks you how many books are in the Bible, what do you say? 66 is sort of right. But one of those books, the book of Psalms, has five books in it. Have you ever noticed that? Book one, book two, book three, all the way through five. And the fifth one has another little book in it, which is this book. So it's really accurate to say there's 71 books in your Bible. If you, you can win a bet by, with somebody on that someday, okay? Just, you know, one of the, we don't call them bar bets anymore because we don't go to the bars, but coffee shop bets, all right? That's the Christian bar these days. But... Um, the Psalms of Ascent, here's how I've begun to look at these over the years. I, I see them as describing 15 mountains that every believer has to climb. At some point in your life, and maybe some of them you climb multiple times in your life. Here's a very, very brief overview of what we've been through. We, as I said, we made it halfway through by January 2015. But Psalm 120 talks about that passion that makes us move. I usually liken it to this. It's a song that some of you will remember singing back in the 60s. And it's, it's the same thing in biblical terms of the song that said, join with me once you catch the tune. I gotta get out of this place. If it's a... Seven of you is all who remember that song? But that's the sentiment in Psalm 120. I've got to get out of this place of violence and deceit. And so there's got to be something that makes you move. That's what Psalm 120 was all about. And then Psalm 121 is, is sort of that slap in the face when you step out on this journey to go to the holy place, as close as you can get to God. And Psalm 121, the song, this is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible, maybe mis, misused. You usually find this verse out of Psalm 121 on, on uh, plaques that you take home from a visit to the mountains. It says this, I lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. And that's not the idea in Psalm 121. It's the pilgrim, and these are all pilgrim songs, the pilgrim who's on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate something um, good about God, something good God has done for him, either salvation, we'll talk about that in a little bit, or God's provision. But on his second step, he's moving away from that place of deceit and, and sin and he realizes this is hard. How many of you have discovered that the Christian life has some difficulty in it? Is anybody here living the same life that I am? And, and so the idea there is, help, I need somebody. 
The idea in Psalm 121 is where he says, Lord, I lift up my eyes. I'm seeing those hills. Who's going to help me over those hills? And he comes to the conclusion that God will help him. Psalm 122 is gratitude for that call home. How many of you, I'm going to give you a moment to think about it. Either the person or one of the key people who were very instrumental in you coming to Jesus. Okay, on the count of three, shout out their name. One, two, three. Bob Dom. And I could go on with the list, but Bob Dom was one of those people. But there was a a young lady by the name of Cheryl Yager who was the last one to say, come on, Bill, just go with me to this Jesus meeting. And I'm, I'm like Psalm, 11, Psalm 122 to her, to Bob, to Steve, Dom, and other Christians that I encountered. It's like, I was so glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Come, just come. How many of you are thankful for the person that invited you to Jesus? Maybe they took, how many got saved at a Harvest Crusade? Anybody here walk forward at Harvest Crusade? How many got saved right here in this church? Let me see those hands, yeah. And you're thankful for the person that called you home. And then Psalm 124, or Psalm 123, I label this one as my biggest problem. You know what my biggest problem in life is? It's me. It's not the devil. It's me. Psalm 123, it's like this fourth step down the road. Got to get out of this place. I'm going to need some help. And then so thankful for whoever invited me to come home. And then, so I, I, some of you might remember this. You get down the road a little ways and you think, man, something stinks around here, man. And you realize it's you that stinks. But it smells like the place you came from, and that's the problem. You marinated in that place of deceit and violence that's labeled in Psalm 120 as Meshach and Kedar, and you've carried that with you. And that's a psalm where you cry out and say, God, it wasn't where I lived that was a problem. It's who I am that is a problem. So change me. And then Psalm 124, this, this almost frightening statement here about what if, Lord, you hadn't been on our side? What if you hadn't called me? And it's that idea that's like, that was close. How many of you have ever had a close call? And uh, how many of you had many close calls? You know, oh my goodness, that, that was close, that was close. And you realize if God had not been on your side, you would have perished. Psalm 125 moves you to this place where you realize, I am so safe in God's hand. Like the mountains that surround Jerusalem. See, all these mountains are mountains you have to climb. You have to climb that mountain of gratitude. You have to climb that mountain of realizing, God, if you, it's not all about me. If you hadn't been on my side, I, I would have perished. You've got to climb that mountain where you realize, God, I've got issues to, to contend with in me. All, all of these, but that one in Psalm 125 where you realize it's the strong hand of God that's holding you. And I hope you've settled into that. And you know that he has a hold of you. And he's, ne- he's never, ever going to let go of you. Psalm 126 I could preach all of these over again, but I don't want to do that. I've just given you the index. It's been a long time. My probation is over. I'm happy to be out. I'm free. But in Psalm 126, this to me is one of the most powerful ones. They said that we, we couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it when we realized we were free. That you've broken us free from our bondage. We were laughing. We were, the laughter was on our tongues. And then the laughter turns to tears. Why? Because they said, but but Lord, there's still some of our people in bondage. And that's such a wonderful growth step for every believer when it's not enough for them to be saved. But there's others that their heart breaks over. And it says they go out bearing precious seed and even weeping. They'll come again. 
bringing the sheaves in with them from the harvest that they planted. And that's a huge mountain that many of us still need to climb, that mountain of becoming a witness and stepping out on our mission, which has never changed. It's just to be fishers of men and to reach more people. And then the last time I was here, Psalm 127, it says, it, it talks about taking your faith home, the house that God builds, the solid house that God builds. And, 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 and it was so, I think it's so significant that you find that psalm right in the middle of those 15 psalms. They're not written by the same people, but they're assembled by we don't know exactly who. But I think it was strategically assembled so that right in the middle of these 15 psalms, here are two psalms that talk about taking your faith home. How many of you believe it's important to take your faith home? You can't leave your faith at the church. You can't leave your faith in the padded pews at the church. You got to pack it up and you got to take it home with you. And that was the center, the balancing point. If faith doesn't work at home, really what good is it? But the home focus didn't end with Psalm 127. So we continue in Psalm 128. You can almost hitch these two together like two verses of the same song. So would you open your Bible there to Psalm 128? I'm going to read it to you in two different uh, translations. First of all, the New King James. Then I want you to hear it in, in, the, in the New Living Translation, which sometimes reads more like a, para, a paraphrase. But here's how it reads. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but it says this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy. Everybody say happy. You shall be happy. And it shall be well with you. And your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, and your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Read verse 6 with me. Yes, may you see your children's children. What's that? Your grandbabies. May you see your grandbabies. And then one more, one more line. Let's read it together. Peace be upon Israel. Shalom. Peace be upon Israel. Father, it's your holy word, and we thank you for your words to us. And Father, I pray that we would hear what you have to say to us tonight, and your words would just find place in, in our hearts, Lord. There'd be good, fruitful, fertile soil in our heart, Lord, that would take your word in, and come to fruitfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to it again in Psalm 128 in the New Living. It says, Oh, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, flourishing within your home, and your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. And may the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. How how many of you have lived to enjoy your grandchildren? I I should have said how many of you have grandchildren and how many of you enjoy those grandchildren. (laughs) Qualify that sometimes. We We have eight grandchildren from... 16 years old down to, to three. Is it three? Three. And they're, they're marvelous. But here our hike continues. I called this uh, study through the Psalms of Ascent, uh, Take a Hike. 
when, uh, when I did it in our fellowship and maybe even here when I did it. But our hike continues. And remember that we're heading for, the, the idea in this is that we're heading for a very happy future in a very happy place. Have you read the story of heaven? Have you read the description of heaven in the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation? Well, it's, the, it's a new heaven and a new earth, and wherever Jesus is, that's where you're going to be. Have you read that? That's, we just have what I would call the equivalent of just a brochure of heaven. It's like just a few snapshots of heaven, but what I read is awfully good. And so we're headed for a very, very happy future in a very, very happy place where there's nothing that offends. This has become very important to me just even in the last couple of days. And I always reflect on this when I I lose somebody that I love. And in the last four days, we've lost three people at Refuge that we really, really love. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Warren Duffy went to be with Jesus on, uh, on Tuesday. And about probably about 9 o'clock in the morning. How many of you remember Warren Duffy? He was on KKLA for 10 years. And he, he served Jesus from the time he got saved, I think in the 80s, until the very, very last days of his life. And he went to be with the Lord. About two hours before that, a guy by the name of Zach Martinez, some of you might know Zach Martinez. He, he came home from Vietnam in the uh, 70s, I guess it was, with uh, extreme PTSD. And uh, he gave his life to Jesus after just a lot of confusion. And all he did for the rest of his life is love his family and love the veterans. And some of you have been to Huntington Beach. About where Golden West hits PCH, there's a flag on the bluff right there. And there's five concrete benches, one for every uh, branch of the, of the military, of the armed forces. And it's there because one day on Memorial Day, one year on Memorial Day, I should say, Zach went down there and he, he put up a, a, a flag and he put a sign at the bottom of it that said, all gave some and some gave all. And that was it. And he, he came out to take it down on the Tuesday after Memorial Day. And a woman was there saying, what do you think you're doing? He said, well, I, I put it up. I need to take it down. And she said, oh, please don't take that down. I, I come here to pray for my son. I come here to pray for my son who's in the military. And so he left it up, and he left it up, and he left it up, and he left it up. And every six months, he'd put a new flag up there. And recently, uh, Huntington Beach City Council has designated that spot as Patriots Point. And it was Zach that got that started. And then a young woman from our fellowship who was killed in a head-on collision up in Sacramento this last, this last Friday and we got news of that at our couple's retreat. But oh, when, I, when, when my heart breaks over those losses, don't you do the same thing? You go to the back of the book and you read the brochure of heaven where there will be no more dying and there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, nothing that ever, ever, ever again offends. So we have an amazingly wonderful, happy future in a happy place. And, and, and we're just now in our study through the Songs of Ascent, we're just halfway there. But, but know this, you're hiking, you're literal hiking, your walk with Jesus. You're going to have to continue to hike just like Joy and I do and climb mountain after mountain after mountain until Jesus pulls you off the trail and he takes you home on your version of the 13th of June, 2018 for those couple of brothers. I just, I had this in my mind. Zach died around seven o'clock in the morning and he steps across the threshold and almost right behind him, he feels a tap on his shoulder. And it's stuffy. Hey, Zach, isn't this amazing? On the same day. You'll hike until that day. 
when Jesus says your hike is over. And you'll climb mountain after mountain. One of my favorite Proverbs, it's, it's, well, I love all the Proverbs in the Bible, don't get me wrong, but I love this one. It's a Haitian proverb. And it says this, beyond mountains, there are mountains. And there will be more mountains to climb until you get home. You haven't reached the summit yet. Yes, heaven will be a very, very happy place, but heavenly happiness, I believe it can start right here. So I want to talk about, and here's the theme tonight, the title of the message tonight, is the eternal happy hour. The, amen. I heard, I heard a hallelujah. I love a hallelujah right at that point. The eternal happy hour. Let's talk about that. Everybody, if you're taking notes, just, just draw a big happy face right in the middle of your notes right there, and let's talk about this. We sing a lot about happiness, don't we? I remember uh, uh, Sandy Adams. Many of you know Sandy Adams. <laughs> I remember him at a, at a pastor's conference. He called his, at the end of it, he called his worship leader up and he said, can we just sing something peppy? A peppy song? He meant something happy. And, and heaven is going to be full of pep. We sing a lot about happiness. How many of you remember some of these songs? This is going way back. How many have been Christians since the 70s? Any, any uh, old young Christians like me? Happy, happy, happy. Ha- or, or maybe you learned it in the children's ministry. Remember this one? It's a happy day and I praise God. Am I on that one alone? That was Barry McGuire that that wrote and sang that song. What about this one? I'm so, I'm lost. I'm so happy in Jesus every day. Now, here's here's one that I know that you'll remember. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. And that's talking about the day Jesus, what? Washed my sins away. And there's a new version of Oh Happy Day. And then this one goes way, way, way back before the Jesus movement. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. We sing a lot about happiness. And we should. The Bible says a lot about happiness. Jot these down. Psalm 1, verse 2 says, Happy are those who delight in the law of God. And that was the law of God. Happy are those who delight, and I would expand it and say the whole word of God. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Happy are those whose sins are forgiven. That should give you enough joy to live on for the rest of your life. Psalm 33, verse 12. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 146, verses 5 through 7, develop the theme that happy are those who put their hope in the Lord. There's happiness for the people of God. Yes, happiness and joy and blessedness. Psalm, or, uh, um, I'm sorry, Proverbs 14, verse 21. Happy are those. This is a powerful one. Happy are those who help the poor. Blessed are those who help those less fortunate than them. Proverbs 16, verse 20. Happy are those who trust God. This is a crazy sounding one. Paul is standing before King Agrippi. And he, uh, Grippy, King Agrippa. He's standing before King Agrippa. And he says, I am happy to stand before you today. He's a prisoner. And at that point in his life, he's been in prison for years. But he said, I am thrilled to stand before you. What did he do when he stood before him? He preached the gospel. That day he was saved. The, the Holy Spirit let him know, you're going to take the gospel to kings and, and those in authority. And so when he heard that he had an appointment that day with King Agrippa, he says, yes, bring him on. Bring on the king. He said, I'm so happy today to stand before you and tell you my story. Uh, Job chapter 5, verse 17, happy is the one whom God corrects. That should give you joy. 
that the Lord says, buddy, you're on the wrong trail. My daughter, you need a correction there to move you to a place of greater fruitfulness. And 2 Corinthians, this is the last one. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Happy are those hilarious, what? Givers. <laughs> How blessed are the happy givers, those who are happy in giving, not grudging in their giving. And of course, in, in the songs of ascent, we've already seen joy over and over again. In Psalm 122, I was glad when they said, let's go home. By the way, can I remind you of that? That I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. I remember the day that I looked down there and I thought, oh God, I'm so happy that that doesn't say, happy was I when they said, let's go to the factory of the Lord. Or let's go to the corporate offices of the Lord. He's invited you to his home. That should thrill us. Amen? Psalm 126, our mouth was filled with laughter when we realized we were forgiven. Psalm 127, happy is the dad who has a quiver full of kids. And you're about to celebrate that. So of course God wants us to be happy, but he wants us happy for the right reasons. It's not the happiness of the world. It's not the giddiness of the world. But it's happiness, deep happiness for the right reasons. Happy and blessed in Him and joyful about the creation that He's made. I, I, I get thrilled to walk through creation. And by the way, I don't even care if you call it nature. You want to call it nature, that's fine. I, I would qualify it like this. As long as you know that the nature behind nature is the nature of God who created that nature. So go ahead and call it nature if you want to. But I love walking through, through creation. Even as, as I did every morning, got up early while we were out at the, at the desert and we'd go walking out in the desert. People think the desert is a dead place. It is teeming with life. And I love to see those species of plants and animals and critters that God made out there. And it, it does, it gives me joy to see it. Blessed are the happy who are happy in their family and in their fellowship. God wants us to be happy. I want to read a paragraph to you from Eugene Peterson's book. Um, it's entitled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's basically uh, his, his thoughts on these songs of ascent. Just a, a half of a paragraph here. He says this, the easiest thing in the world, and he's going to qualify this, the easiest thing in the world is to be a Christian. What is hard is to be a sinner. Being a Christian is what we were created for. The life of faith has the support of an entire creation and the resources of a magnificent redemption. The structure of this world was created by God so we could live in it easily and happily as his children. The history we walk in has been repeatedly entered by God, most notably in Jesus Christ, first to show us and then to help us live full of faith and exuberant with purpose. In the course of Christian discipleship, we discover that without Christ, we're doing it the hard way. And that with Christ, we're doing it the easy way. It's not Christians who have it hard. It's non-Christians who have it hard. How many of you would say that you were doing it the hard way before you met Jesus? Now, of course, there's still hardship. But isn't, isn't the, the hardest day here better than the, the best day before you met Jesus? That you, you're doing something with a deep, deep purpose. Jesus said it too about joy, about peace, about happiness. In, in John 15, in, in verse 11, he said these things on the last night of his life before he was crucified. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't want his people to be happy. He wants us to be filled and overflowing 
with his joy. Now, of course, you contend for that from time to time, but let's take a closer look at this eternal happy hour here. Look, look down at verse 1, and let's walk through this psalm just a little bit here. It's, I'm, I'm glad it's such a beautiful, brief psalm. I think sometimes you can over-dissect songs, you know, and just read them, sing them, and let them breathe, let them have their voice. But in, in the first verse, he says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. There's two kinds of blessed in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament. Two different words for blessed. One of them is the Hebrew word asher. Everybody say asher. It just means happiness, a state of well-being. But this other one, barak. Everybody say barak. Remember that? You remember that word? Anybody remember that word? That's what the word means. That's what our former president's name meant. Barak meant blessed. And it meant blessed in this way. It's a beautiful word. It means to be praised, to be adored, or to kneel. Kneel for what? To receive a blessing. The blessed person that's being spoken about in this psalm is one who is ready to receive the official blessing from the God of the universe. It's a conferred blessing. It's not that just you're having a happy day. It's that God is pouring happiness upon you. This is God saying to you, how blessed is this man? He's saying, oh, how much I love this household that we're describing here. How blessed is this kind of household that bears the blessing of God, conferred from God, poured down from God upon your home. Upon who? Upon the one who fears the Lord and walks in his way the one who fears God. Blessed is the man who fears God and walks in his way. Now, how many of you have heard a a definition of fear in terms of the fear of God that you understand that it's not like trembling at the thought of drawing near to God. It's more trembling at the idea of not drawing near to God. The the fear of God, and, and I think I've told this story before, that that the, the, the real beauty, I think the real understanding of what it means to fear God comes right down to this, that I would be afraid to do anything that would break God's heart, harm his work, or bring shame to his name. If I fear God, I, I reverence him. I stand in awe of him. I deeply, deeply respect and honor him. And at the core of that fear is love that I love him so much, I don't want to do anything that would bring shame to his name or that would harm his work or, or that would break his heart. I, I, won't, I won't tell you the, the long version of the story. Let me keep it brief for time's sake tonight. Um, I am perfect. There should have been more laughter than that when I said that. <laughs> I am perfect. I'm the perfect example of... What James Cadiz likes to call a knucklehead. I'm the perfect example of an imperfect person that God has chosen to use. And I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not. I I remember one evening when we lived in Australia that I raged on my son. I didn't hit him physically, but I certainly spoke angry words to his heart that he did not deserve as my beloved son. And then I went for a long walk. And it was Sunday night, and the only shoes I had to throw onto my feet were my hard Sunday shoes. 
And so I walked for, I don't know, Joy might remember, I was gone for a long time, walking around, and my, the first steps of my, my, my walk were, why, just, why does he procrastinate, God? When's he going to learn? And I was angry over him procrastinating, getting his, his homework done until 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. And so, but I, I went over the top. I got up in his face, and I, I yelled at my beloved son. And... Um, it wasn't more than five minutes into my walk that the Lord spoke to my heart and said, oh, so you're pretty angry, aren't you? I'm just interpreting the feelings in my heart that night. And it was like, yes, I'm angry. And I should be angry. And it was like, if I would interpret it, the way God articulated this to my heart, is it was this question, when did you finish your message that you preached this morning at 10 o'clock? I thought, that is not fair, God. This is not about me. This is about him. And as always, I'd finished it 15 minutes before I handed in my homework, 15 minutes before I preached that message. And the rest of the walk was not about my son. It was about me. And when I got home, I I sat out on the curb for a while as God was just uh, lovingly doing surgery, and it was not arthroscopic. (laughs) He laid me open um, lovingly. I sat on the curb for a while and just got my thoughts together, went into the house, and there was Jeremy finishing up his homework, and I went into his room, and I got down on my knees beside his bed, and I said, son, I'm so sorry. Jesus would never have spoken to you like that. And I asked him, what, did, what were you thinking when I was shouting at you? He said, well, Dad, I wanted to run away. I said, why didn't you? He said, well, I knew that it would break your heart if I did. Who was the man that night? Who was the man? My 15-year-old son was the man that night. Not, not, his, not his daddy, but him. And it was he was afraid to do anything that would break my heart. To this day, that's the kind of man that he is. And he taught me an awful lot what it means to fear God. It's not about this idea that, oh, God, if, God's gonna, if he gets a good shot at me, he's going to kick me to Pluto from here. But it's, it's a love that's at the core of it. Blessed is the man who fears God with great reverence. Leads his house, his family. It's almost a Father's Day message, isn't it? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And it says walks in obedience. That means, that means just that sometimes that painful obedience. It's the appropriate response to God's instruction. Painful obedience. It'll cost me something to obey God. Have you discovered that? Obedience to God costs something, oh, but it gives you so much more back than it costs you. That closeness with him. My, my blessing doesn't have to come at the expense of anybody else's pain, but mine. And sometimes it will be painful obedience. You look down at verse 2 through 4, and, and let's look a little closer at this blessing that comes to the man or the woman who fears the Lord and walks in his way. And by the way, that's all God has ever really called you to do. Uh, how many of you, I know I'm always asking people to raise their hands, but how many of you have ever wondered, God, what is your will for my life? Let me see the hands of those that, that have asked that, maybe even recently. What's your will for my life? I'll tell you what his will for your life is right now. Walk with him. That's all it is. Just take the next step that he leads you to take. And if you're not sure, start stepping in that direction and see if he redirects you. That's all God wants you to do for the rest of your life is to use what he gave you for his glory and just go for a walk with him. Just go for a long walk with him and you'll be pleasing your heavenly father. But verses two to four, look closer at this with me. 
uh, if you would. The, the ideal, you could almost call it the idyllic life, where it says in verse 2, when you eat the labor of your, ha- your, your hands, you'll be happy, and it'll be well with you. Your wife, she's the fruitful vine in the heart of your home. I love that. Your wife's where? Not in the corner of your home. She's not out in the garage or in the shed. She's at the heart of the home. That, that redhead lady right there, that beautiful bride of mine, she is the heart of our home. She's established the heart of our home. Uh, we, we spoke at a couple's event uh, a couple of nights ago. And I, without Joy knowing it, I texted the kids and, and I, I said, hey, tell me, what is, um, wh- how would you describe your mom? What are her strengths? And our youngest one said, said she's so consistent and she's compassionate. Our daughter-in-law said she's the queen of Christmas. And she is, you know, Christmas explodes in our house. We have to move out of our house so that Christmas can move into our house. No, it's, but our house is full of, of Christmas. So there's this, this beautiful scene here. The woman, the wife is the heart of the, the home. The children are like olive plants. Where? Around your table. The family focuses, should focus, around the table. It's almost inaccurate to call it this anymore, not the tube. Because I don't think there's any tubes in the TV anymore. The family's supposed to focus around the table not the TV, or not all of our individual devices. The table time was the sweetest time. Table time and bedtime, putting the kids down, sweetest time in our household. We'd sit down around the table, and we would talk, and we would tell jokes, and I would start the food fights, and, and it, was, it was marvelous around our table. And, and, and there were fights around our table, too, and there was instruction around the table, and always amazing food that, that Joy made. It was on that table, but it'll be like fruitful vines gathered around the table, and that's how the man will be blessed who fears the Lord. The life that God intended was meant to be a good life. It was meant to be a sweet life, the eternal happy hour. And you'll be blessed, it says, with, and I, I love this, you'll get to see your children's children. You'll get to see your children's children. Do you know what that meant in those days? That, was that, that means that you'll get to live to the ripe old age of 40, probably. That was close to the life expectancy. Now, I know there were some that lived much, much longer in the Bible. But in those days, the life expectancy was way less than it is now. That's about the time grandkids come along when you get married very young like they did in that culture. And you have babies right away. And those babies grow up, get married when they're very young. And you'd live to about 40 and you'd start to see your grandchildren popping. He said, may you live to the wonderful age of 40. The, the the, The Jewish view of the good life was this. It might be massaged a little different one way or another, but for most of them it was this. You'd have a successful farm or at least a garden that you would eat out of. You'd plant your, 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 your vines, you would plant your vegetables, and you would eat from the fruit of the land. Maybe you'd have some small business like Chip and Joanna Gaines, and, and you would have something going on that was enough to share with other people that would, that would keep the, the food coming to your table in, in Micah chapter 4. In verse 4, again, this blessing is mentioned that the blessed man will be sitting under his own fig tree and his own grapevine. There'd be fruitfulness around your home, and it was a happy home. It's meant to be a happy home where there, were, where there was a hardworking husband and a harder-working wife. I am so glad to be a man. 
Because I, I think women work a whole lot harder, especially moms work so much harder, I think, than, than men do. I, I know we lift bigger physical burdens, but that work of my bride, it never stopped. It was 24-7, especially when the babies were little babies. But the happy home is a hardworking couple, a quiver of, of great kids and fruitfulness all around. And at the end of the day, and I love this scene, I've often wondered, what did God have in mind for the end of the day? What did he want it to look like when, when the work of the day was over and we sat down around the table and the chatter in the home started and there was eye contact and all, just all, what, what did he want that to be? And then when the dishes were cleared, what did he want our home life to look like? He said, be, there, there will be blessing there. The end of the day was probably the happiest moment of the day for those families. You get up, it was just like you getting up. Dad's got to get out to the fields or out to the herds or out to the flocks and there's work going on and mom's doing laundry and, and taking care of babies. But boy, when, when dad came home and the, and the implements for the farm were put up in the, in the, in the shed and you gathered around that table, the... What the reason you got together, it was there, and there was blessing, eating meals in happiness together. No bread or so, no bread of sorrows around that table, and and everyone on their own iPad. No, nobody on their own iPad. Just eyes focused on one another. Can, can I just encourage you? I know it's hard. Put the devices down at the dinner table, the breakfast table. Put them face down. Put them in. I saw, we saw a, a little device you could buy at a, at a mountain gift shop, and it was like a little jail cell. And it was for your cell phone to go into the cell during dinner, and mom locked it up, and she had the key, and you didn't get it back until after dinner. And just look at the people you've been living with especially at the dinner table. Come on, let, let's do that. Raise your right hand after me and uh, just do it on your own when you get home, okay? Just commit. You can do that. We can do that. I know there's times when you have to be in touch, but not all that time. That, that happy home had that, that connection between one another. And I think maybe, uh, more than maybe, I think, but maybe, just maybe, we have settled for a far more complicated and less fulfilling happy than God intended. I think the happy was meant to be what's described in the middle of these songs of ascent on the way to the holy place. Where you, you gather with your family and you take time to celebrate life and little tiny victories. Where you're passing out trophies to your kids, trophies of applause and trophies of, of blessing, verbal blessings you put on your kids. And, and just building something that is, is, is worth building, that lasts for, forever. The happy... The happy life had this daily and weekly and even yearly rhythm about it. The, the people who were on the road to these times of celebration for Passover and, and for Pentecost and, and what was the other one? Tabernacles. Well, they were on the road to these. these they were yearly celebrations that they, the men had to go to, but they were more than welcome to bring their families along with them. And we know that Joseph and Mary brought their family along when they went down for Passover, when they went to Jerusalem because they left Jesus behind one year as they headed back to Nazareth. So the families are coming together and as they're moving along, you know what they're doing? They're singing these songs in succession. They came to the middle and there was this reminder, oh, we've got to take this home with us. Let's take all this truth. Let's take this faith. Let's take this hope. Let's take this grace. 
home with us and make the happiest, listen carefully, make the happiest moment in the rhythm of our week, the rhythm of our day, happiest moment isn't Thursday night at Calvary South Bay or Wednesday night at Refuge, but the happiest moments are those moments in our home where we face one another and we call on the Lord and we bear each other's burdens and we rejoice together. That, that, that takes focus to do that. That happy life has a daily and weekly rhythm where there's labor and there's rest and there's table time and there's laughter and there's, there's correction and there's music and there's children which are home entertainment systems all by themselves, aren't they? I've just seen recently on, uh, on social media three young ladies that grew up in our church from the time they were at least in junior high that are now welcoming babies. A couple of them, it's their first baby. And I, I just, I looked at that today and I thought, oh, I am so proud of you girls for the women of God that you've become. And the, the, one of them just welcomed their first little girl and it was Grace, and I can't remember her middle name, but the, she named her Grace. And I just, I, I know her husband and obviously I know her and, and, and I thought for these two, for Brandon and for Amber, I am so thankful that little Grace gets to grow up in your home, in a home that's so full of grace. And I thought, oh, the, the, the blessings that are ahead for them and the challenges that are ahead for them, that's very real too. How much they're going to grow while they help her grow and the siblings that come along. That's life the way that it was meant to be. And it sounds to me a lot like Psalm 1. In, in some ways, it's a repeat of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man and fruitful trees and always bearing fruit wherever they go. So remember, these are those pilgrim songs. They're heading for that happy celebration. Passover was that reminder that God had saved them out of bondage. I don't know when the last time was that you just either bowed a knee beside your bed or, or, or lifted your hands to say again, and maybe it's been years since you said, God, thank you for saving me. Whew, that was close. And how long has it been since you maybe even looked back at the hard days you walked through? Some of you are in the hard days right now. But God's been providing. And then, then that, that feast of celebration at Pentecost where they gave gratitude for the harvest that was coming in off the field, enough for, to, to fill up their table and maybe fill up the barns a little bit. And it was a feast of saying, God, thank you for providing for us. How long has it been since around the table you did that? Let's, let's thank God that he saved us. Let's thank him that he's provided for us. And tabernacles, a reminder of God's faithfulness and that we today still are living the tent life because this is not permanent here. This is a sojourn, my brothers and sisters. This is, we are pilgrims doing what? What do pilgrims do? We're passing through. We're here on a mission, but we're passing through. This is not forever. We're in the tent period right now. And one day I'm laying this tent aside, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a new body which knee, that my knees won't creak anymore. And my teeth won't fall out anymore. And my hair will be beautifully dark, brown, whatever it happens to be when I get there. But I will be, with, I will be pain-free. Anybody looking forward to pain-free eternity? Oh, happy day. That happy day is coming. And God is inviting these hikers and us as well 
to remember this with all of this religious stuff we do. And we do this weekly. And, and I can guarantee that if you're here on a Thursday night <laughs> in, in the middle of June, that you will be here Christmas too, that yearly celebration. You'll be here Easter. You'll probably be here Good Friday if you're here on Thursday night. And that's like those, the yearly rhythm of those festivals that they went to. And you'll come and you'll gather with the people of God week after week, couple times a week. Thursday night people are usually couple times a week people at least. And you'll gather when it's the yearly gatherings. But remember, and that's the point in, in these two Psalms, remember, let's take it home. Let's make our happiest places and our happiest times. Well, let's just fill every place we go with his joy. But let's build happy homes where Christ is honored there. And it's not too late to get that. It is not too late to have that at home. God's inviting us in these psalms to take the happiness home with us. Back to the farm, or in their case, back to the kibbutz. Back maybe to that distant village where they, they were about to head back. In, um, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, you love this verse, whether or not you knew where it was. It says, the joy of the Lord is, what is it? My strength. Now everybody say it. It's the joy of the Lord is my strength. That means it'll get you through the hard times. It'll be all the power you need in the hardest of times, even in the grief. It's amazing to me to watch grieving souls that are also joyful. In the, while tears run down their face, they're giving praise to God. We lost another, I know she's not lost, we know where she is, but she's not here anymore. Linda went to be with Jesus about a month or so ago, right babe? And to watch her husband Ross, they'd been married 16 years, but to watch him with tears running down his face saying, I miss my best friend, I miss my buddy, but oh, I'm so happy that she's out of that, that body that had been double stroked and she's home. And he's, he's still to this day, a month and a half later, still rejoicing over that. But your family life, it was meant to be happy, happier than even being here at church. And let's face it, it's not always that way. Getting everybody on the same page is tough. And even if you live alone, how many of you have trouble getting yourself on the same page? Getting all those voices in your head and all those opinions. Yeah, I don't always agree with myself. Getting myself on the same page is obviously, it's, it can be very, very hard. Getting, but getting a family on that same page, every family's dysfunctional in some way. Every single one of us, we malfunction, we're defective. There's viruses that have, in, have impacted our own, you could call it operating system. We've got to deal with them. They're called sin. Get them out of there. The negative thinking that just drives us in the wrong direction. But most families... <laughs> Most families deal with that. I, I've, I've never met a family that was like Ma and Pa Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. I wanted to be that. He was my idol growing up. I wanted to be like Pa Ingalls. We'd watch that every single week. And I want to be like Pa. And uh, whether I think we're more like the Bunkers or the Simpsons or the, fa- the Adams family at times or Roseanne. Oops, I didn't mean to mention Roseanne. But let's, but, <laughs> let's refuse Listen, let's refuse to lower our expectations on what the happy home can be. It can be. It can be that eternal happy hour. Home will have challenges to deal with, but at the core,
core of it, it can still be that joy. Don't ever apologize for the high standard you set for your home. Don't, don't apologize for it. Don't lower the standard. Just keep it right where it is. And Paul, or John, when he wrote one of his little letters, he said, I, my greatest joy, my greatest joy is to know that my kids are walking in the truth. Keep that standard there. Sounds great. Where do you find it? We choose to fear God. And we choose to walk in his ways. We choose to do that. But I can't get all my ducks in a row. Then start with the big duck. Start with you. And get yourself in a row. And make the adjustments that, that you need to make. Get daddy duck in a row. And maybe that'll help the baby ducks get in a row as well. David had trouble, didn't he? Look at the challenges he went through. It's self-inflicted, many of them. Eli the priest in the Old Testament had kids that didn't walk with the Lord. Oh my goodness, Jacob. Jacob had a, a bunch of bad boys that sold their little brother to slave traders. Anybody say dysfunction with me? That's dysfunction. That's a bunch of, my, my brother would beat up on me from time to time. He was six foot tall when he was 16. I was four foot 11 when I was 15. And, and we were just a year apart. So he beat up on me from time to time. But he never sold me to slavers. <laughs> that, was a, that was a tough family for little Joseph to grow up in. But look at him. He overcame it. Here's what you do. You train. You train your children in the way they should go. How do you train them? Example is the best trainer, isn't it? And in, in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way that they should go. And they're going to figure it out. When they are old, they shall return. People say that's more of a principle than a promise, but I'm clinging to the promise that if I pour in the right seed, the Holy Spirit's going to water that. And we've had every one of our children have tested the waters. And God has been faithful. He has been faithful. So pray with them. Read the story to them. Act it out if that helps you, especially when they're little. But more than that, live it out. Celebrate Jesus every day. A lot. Use the name. Everybody say Jesus. Now go home and say it a hundred times before you go to bed. Just let the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus, just infest, if that's probably the wrong word, but fill your conversation. Talk much about Jesus. Fear God. Walk in his ways and set the culture of your happy home that way. I, I love the description you get of what the, I think the culture of our homes are supposed to be, where Micah in, in his prophecy in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, you, you know what you're supposed to do? He says, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Anybody got it memorized? Do justly. Love mercy. Not just when it's shown to you, but love showing mercy. And what's the last one? Just walk humbly with God. Boy, if, boy, if that's... If that could be the culture of the Welsh household, to do the right thing, which is what justice is, do the right thing, love showing mercy, and walk in humility, God's going God's to love hanging out in a house like that. And that will be an eternally happy home. That's what he blesses. That is the sweet spot. That's the happy hour. I, I love music. And I can't remember, I think it was my, our youngest daughter, Starlin, that introduced me to a singer by the name of John Gorka. He's a, kind of a folk singer. He's got this really deep baritone kind of a voice. 
And I heard a song from him that was written by a guy named Stan Rogers, who was a Canadian um, uh, folk singer. And it's called The Lock Keeper. You should look it up, but not now. Just write it down, look it up later. And you're going to play it probably 10 times. You won't get, if you're anything like me, you won't be able to get enough of that song. And you'll listen to it over and over until it just kind of has worked its way into your heart. The, the story of the song is a man who's a lock keeper on the St. Lawrence Seaway. And he, he, he opens the lock and he raises and he lowers the water so the ships can, can get from the Great Lakes down to the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. But he, so he operates this and, and there's this, this ship captain who's coming in and, uh, and they've known each other, obviously. And the song starts like this. Well met again, lock keeper. Laden even deeper than the time before With oriental oils and teas brought down from Singapore He's bragging about the load of goods that he has And then the lock keeper says As we wait for my lock to cycle I say my wife has just given me a son Then the lock keeper says A son, you say, is that all that you've done? That sets the tone for the, the ship captain who's bragging about everywhere he's been and all his girlfriends all over the world. And the lock keeper who's so blessed with his happy little home with his wife and his little son. And as this, the banter goes back and forth, the lock keeper says, and this is one of my favorite lines, and I cry every time I say it, that he looks at this guy and he says, I wouldn't trade your whole life for one hour of home. I wouldn't want what you have for just one hour of home. And it just, it's, it's not a Christian song. It doesn't have Jesus all over it, but it has truth all over it. You've got to choose wisely. So which one will be blessed? The one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. The Lord bless you. And let me say this to you as we close tonight. With, with hopefully for you, high hopes for the family you're a part of now, and for some of you, for the family that you will build one day, or the circle of, of brothers and sisters you share a, a roof with, the Lord bless you out of Zion. And may you see the good of Jerusalem, the holy city. May you see the good of heaven poured down upon you all the days of your life. And may you see fruitfulness. And this, may you see your children's children but may you see level after level of fruitfulness as you choose to walk in a way that honors the God who saved you and is calling you home. But don't forget to take the blessing of heaven home with you and build the kind of a culture in your house that reflects the heart of God. May the joy of, of your salvation, may you never get over the joy of your salvation. Tonight, before you lay your head on the pillow or as you're laying there heading off to La La Land and hope you sleep sweet tonight, that may you just take at least a breath and thank God again that he saved you and thank him that he provides for you and thank him that even in the tent days, you have an amazing future laid out for you when you'll step into the same place that I will step in blessed from a life that we lived here with God and blessed forever in his presence. So take his blessing home with you and may your best hours be around your table 
No more bread of sorrows. Take the joy of Jesus home with you and may your joy be full. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray tonight for your, your blessing upon my brothers and sisters. We're all a part of a family, whether it's a, a wonderful family or a messed up family, a broken family, Lord. And I thank you, God, that again, I get to live as a perfect example of the blessing that you can bring. Joy and I together, Lord, we both from these broken homes, but you took broken people and you built something beautiful out of us, Lord, and I thank you for that. And I pray that same blessing over my brothers and sisters here tonight, Father, and especially for those right now this evening that have yet to surrender their life to you, to step into the blessed life of forgiveness of sins and your presence and your provision, Lord, and the great hope and Father, I pray for those that are just still living in that brokenness. Tonight, Father, would you draw them to yourself to surrender the brokenness for the beauty that you'll pour into them, Father God, and the hopelessness for the hope, the eternal hope of heaven. So, Father, fill these families represented here with your joy and your grace and your peace and your mercy, Lord. And we ask all of that in the strong name of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face to shine upon you, and be gracious to you, lift up his countenance over you, and fill your hearts and your homes with his peace. In Jesus' name, bless you. Thank you, Pastor.